0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. There are some moments in life that after you experience them, you live differently forever after. Uh, a few weeks ago, you remember the uh, storm that hit our area and the tornado sirens started going off. And so we stepped outside and looked up and the entire sky was green. And we're like, of course, it's 2020. What, what do we expect at this point? This is normal now. And so we kind of hunkered down inside as the sirens were going off. I was at the Streamwood campus when this was happening. And then eventually the sirens stopped and it was time for me to go home. And so I g- gathered my things. I walked to the front doors and I looked outside and I realized that even though the wind had died down, uh, there was still lots of thunder and lightning going on and I was nervous to walk even the 20 paces across the lot to my car. A lot of people are nervous about walking when there's a lightning storm. I'm especially nervous because of something that happened to me, which is what I want to show you now. Uh, This is a video that I filmed back in 2010 when I was living in Chicago. Take a look. that That's really close. Oh you okay? Let's go. Wow. Our building just got hit and I got hit in the back with a brick. Whew, we're okay though. So the next morning I woke up and I looked out my window and this is what I saw. This was our neighbor's chimney. It turns out the lightning hadn't struck our building but our neighbor's and the chimney just exploded and bricks rained down. Uh, My wife, Kasha, who you saw in the video, she got hit in the arm with a brick and a brick narrowly missed my head coming down and slammed into my back. And this is the shiner that was a result from that. Uh, This was a moment in my life where I was in the midst of something powerful, a powerful explosion. And it was scary, and it was something that made me live differently forever after. We are going to look uh, into God's word today, and as we do, I want to put a question before you. The question is this, how do you relate to God? As you think about that question, you may be in a place where you're great right now. Things are going well in in, in life, even though we're in the midst of a troubling time. You feel like uh, your relationship with God is intimate, you're close, things are going well but you may be at a place where things are not so great, that you wish you had a better relationship with God, or maybe a relationship with God at all. Uh, Some of you uh, are going to ask this question, and you're not going to have a great answer, but I want to say this is the most important question that you will ever answer in life. It says more about you than anything else. And today we're going to look at a passage in scripture where there's a moment that impacted the early church. It was a moment that would change the lives of the people in this group forever, but not only would it change their lives, it would actually change history. It would open up an invitation, a door for the rest of the world thereafter to experience God differently. This is an invitation that's open to you today, to have your own Acts chapter 2 moment, Acts chapter two is where we're headed today. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there now. Uh, While you're doing that, just to set the scene, uh, when Jesus arrives, uh, he's the God in the flesh, we turn a big corner in the big God story. And that's the series that we are in. Uh, Jesus lived, he taught, he healed, uh, and he spoke of the kingdom of God. But then he was crucified by the powers that be. And and it was a big surprise to everybody around him. And, And not only that, three days later, he rose again from the dead, which was another big surprise. And, and, and then uh, Luke records, Luke wrote the gospel, but in his second volume, Luke records that after he rose again from the dead, he spent 40 more days hanging out with people and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And, and so he wrote this. He said, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he's talking about his disciples here, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus ascends into heaven and his disciples are like looking as the last bits of his toes tuck up into heaven and they're staring at the clouds and they're wondering, what now? What next? And what comes next is crazy. Acts chapter 2 explains the Pentecost story. And Pentecost is this explosive event that led to a big turn in the big God story. So here's where we're headed today in a sentence. Pentecost is the explosion that demands an explanation that leads to an expansion. That's where we're going. So part one, the explosion, picking up Acts chapter two, verse one. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine, which is a fantastic stopping place for the first part of our text today. Around here, we like to thank God for speaking to us through his word. And so we're going to do that now. Uh, but today, we're going to do it in Spanish. So I'm going to say, La palabra del Señor, which means this is the word of the Lord. And you are going to say, Gracias a Dios, which means thanks be to God. Ready? La palabra del Señor. Gracias a Dios. So Acts chapter two, picks up with this group of 120 followers of Jesus gathered shortly after Jesus ascends, and they're gathered for a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is part of Christian tradition. We celebrate it here, Uh, but it actually goes back way before Jesus. It was one of three major Jewish festivals, and it was primarily for remembering and celebrating God giving his covenant law at Mount Sinai. So you remember, Clayton preached a, uh, a whole sermon dedicated to just this. So God had just rescued his people out of Egypt And he was committed to dwelling among them in this tent called the tabernacle. And then he gives them his law, which says, here's how you are to be my people. Here's how you're to be distinct and different. And as they're gathered to celebrate Pentecost, there's this sudden burst of activity. Luke describes it as a very loud noise, like that of a violent wind and fire. So we got noise, wind, and fire. This is a recipe for what would be experienced almost like a literal explosion, And then fire comes down and lands on these followers of Jesus. And they start proclaiming the wonders of God. Except the language that's coming out of their mouth is not their own native language. It was in other tongues. And just to clarify, this is not the gift of tongues that's spoken about later in the New Testament. Uh, That is a unique spiritual language that's not intelligible to anybody else. Except for another person who is gifted to interpret. This is talking about tongues, other languages that were spoken by actual people group groups at the time. So there's 15 people groups that begin wandering over because they started hearing these people proclaiming the wonders of God in their own language. And these were people that did not look like them. So, so that video that you watched, uh, that was from when I was living in Albany Park, Chicago. And Albany Park is one of the most ethnically diverse zip codes in the entire country. It's just kind of taken for granted that if, for me, as a, a, a young white boy speaking English, if, if I was going to go anywhere, uh, communication was going to be hard. So grocery store, restaurant, whatever, it was the, the, there's all likelihood that that person does not speak the same language as I do. Now, when I think of Pentecost, I imagine me going to church in my Albany Park neighborhood and, and we're worshiping God and all of a sudden there's this loud noise and wind and fire comes down and lands on us. And, and the people in our church start speaking uh, Mandarin and Polish and Arabic. And, 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 and all of a sudden the people from the neighborhoods start to come out of their homes because they see these people who don't look like them speaking in their native language. It goes, what's going on at that church? That would be quite a morning at church, right? This is what's happening at Pentecost. What, what is happening? The people, Luke says, are amazed and perplexed, and they ask each other, "What does this mean?" This is something that demands an explanation, and that's part two: the explanation. Picking up at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, after all. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, this is the quote from Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So you've got all these different languages being spoken at once. It's drawn a crowd, and Peter stands up in the midst of this scene, and he says, "Do you know what this is?" This is what Joel predicted a long time about. This is the very spirit of God being poured out on us. It's finally here. And so this raises a question: Who is the Holy Spirit? a little bit of a kind of theological background here. The Spirit of God is named and active throughout all of Scripture, but it's really not until we get to the New Testament that the Spirit of God is identified as a distinct person from the Father and the Son, okay? So so kind of an element of Christian theology, a basic element of Christian theology, is that we believe that God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. We call this the Trinity. So each of them is one being, but three persons. They are distinct from each other. So the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father, but they are all God. If you are confused, then you are catching on. Uh, This is not something that has an equal analogy in our life. God is unique in this way. So the Spirit, it's really important, is fully God. The Spirit is not a second-rate divinity. The Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Spirit is a person who is in eternal fellowship with God the Son and God the Father. And when Jesus left his earthly ministry, he said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Spirit. The Spirit is coming. So Peter stands up and he connects what Joel prophesied, what Jesus promised, and what's happening right in front of them. He says, Joel predicted a day when God would pour out his Spirit, his very undiluted presence on all people, on all people. Uh, Acts chapter two says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, to understand just how big of a deal it is, all we have to do is ask the question, what else did the Spirit fill through most of the Old Testament? And the answer is the temple. And specifically, one room within the temple called the Holy of Holies. Uh, This was this inner room. It was the only place on earth where God's undiluted presence was to be found. And God's presence is so pure, it's so holy, that that, that the average person would not survive an encounter with God's presence because we are contaminated by this thing called our sin nature. In fact, only one person could enter the Holy of Holies and even then it was only once a year and that was the high priest. And that can only happen after a rigorous process of purification. One person once a year could experience the direct presence of God. So you see our sin creates a a real problem when it comes to experiencing intimacy with our creator. And now Luke is making this claim. He's saying all of the believers there, not in the temple, were filled with the spirit. So to understand just how crazy this is, I want you to do a thought experiment with me, okay? I want you to imagine we wake up tomorrow and NASA has released a statement that says, we are offering vacations to the moon for absolutely anybody. Uh, you don't need to go, uh, you don't need to be an astronaut, you don't need to prepare for months and years, you can just go. And as a bonus, there is no spacesuit required. In fact, you can kind of wear whatever you want. Like we would recommend against Crocs, but I mean, it doesn't really matter what planet you're on. Everybody knows Crocs is a bad idea in general. They say you can just wear whatever Whatever you're comfortable in. If we woke up to that announcement tomorrow, what would our thought be? Our thought would be, I don't believe that. That's crazy talk. And the answer is you know, why is that? Because the human body is simply not going to survive the atmosphere on the surface of the moon. So I looked this up this week. If you were to be exposed directly to the atmosphere of the moon, uh, what would happen in a matter of seconds is uh, the, uh, your skin, any moisture near the surface of your skin would begin to uh, vaporize, causing you to expand, kind of like a big balloon. The air would be sucked out of your lungs immediately, and then you'd begin to burn from cosmic radiation. So you'd be like this puffy ball of something that's like freezing and burning at the very same time. so not exactly uh, not exactly a walk in the park. Uh, This is uh, what would happen on the surface of the moon. This is why it took the Apollo space program, the modern equivalent of $260 billion, get this, 400,000 people working on the project, and years of preparation just to send 12 people to the moon. Neil Armstrong's suit, just his suit alone, uh, cost $670,000 in today's dollars. But suppose for a minute that somebody took up NASA on this this offer, and maybe a bunch of people did, and they went to the moon, and it turns out they are okay. Like, they survived. What would our next question be? Next question would be, how? How is it that this can happen? Yesterday it couldn't happen, and now it's happening. What changed? This is the magnitude of Pentecost. Exposure to the pure presence of God before was something that was really dangerous, and now it's filling these people Uh, Okay, fine, Joel prophesied that it would happen, but that doesn't make it any easier to believe. Just like a a suitless vacation on the moon would be something that would require an explanation, what happened here at Pentecost uh, causes us to naturally wonder what happened to bring about this huge change. Verse 22, Peter picks it up and explains why. And by the way, if you have a hard time with sermons in general, this is a sermon within a sermon, okay? So, so buckle up. Verse 22, Peter says, "'Fellow Israelites, listen to this. "'Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you "'by miracles, wonders, and signs, "'which God did among you through him. "'As you yourselves know, "'this man was handed over to you "'by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. "'And you, with the help of wicked men, "'put him to death by nailing him to the cross.' But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And now Peter's going to quote Psalm 16. He says, David said about him, I saw the Lord before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, but my body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. That's the end of Psalm 16, and watch how he connects it to Jesus. Peter says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. He's talking about the throne of God. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And this is Peter's conclusion. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Peter takes what's happening here at Pentecost and he connects it to Jesus. He says this explosion that we all just witnessed, that was the Holy Spirit whom Jesus is pouring out. How is Jesus able to pour out the Holy Spirit? Because he is the king we have been waiting for. So how does Peter know this? This is where some important big themes in the Big God story begin to come together for those who are witnessing this event. So follow along as, as at how Jesus' work maps onto some of these big themes. And each one of these, by the way, has shown up in a sermon right here in this series. So you remember the, the Lamb of God, which God provided and said, if you spread the Lamb's blood over your doorposts in Egypt, then you, the angel of death, will pass over and you will go free. Remember that in the Exodus story? Jesus is then introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and sets captives free. The temple, right? We talked about how in the Old Testament, God took up residence in the Holy of Holies. The gospel writers write that the moment Jesus died, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, meaning God is no longer there. God's presence is no longer confined to a building. God is on the loose. And now he's taking up residence in human hearts. Uh, The law. God gave the law to Moses on on tablets of stone. But the prophet Jeremiah said, hey, there's going to be one day where those stone tablets uh, with the law on them, which are not able to change human hearts, those will be gone and God will write the law on human hearts themselves. And this is Peter saying, friends, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. The law is written now on our hearts and minds. And Peter brings up David and why he says, "Hey, remember how David said my my body will never see decay?" And he basically goes, "Guys, here's his tomb. We know David's body is right here. But do you know whose tomb is empty?" It's Jesus. When David was speaking, he was speaking about the Messiah that would come, one of his descendants. And Jesus is risen. He is no longer in the ground. He is seated on the throne. Friends, Jesus is the Messiah we have been waiting for. And how far back does Jesus' work go? You remember uh, the Tower of Babel, how people had come together and they had created this monument to try to manipulate the gods. It was an act of pride and arrogance. And, and, And God stops the project. He sends a confusion of language. So people are scattered and everything comes to a grinding halt. But now Peter's saying, God is doing a different work. He's doing a new thing. God is not dividing by language, He's uniting with language. Look around. Babel is coming undone. The spirit is being poured out on all people. That promise to Abraham that all nations on the earth would be blessed through him. Friends, that's coming true. And when we read the beginning of the Bible story, we see how sin enters the picture and it breaks everything. It ruins God's shalom, his peace, right? And as the story moves forward after that, we get further and further away from Eden. But now Peter's saying this, he goes, now that Jesus has arrived on the scene, Because of his work, we are actually getting closer and closer to Eden restored. Peter's saying, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He is the Messiah. He is the key that is unlocking God's expanding shalom. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This is why Pentecost is such a massive event in the history of the church. As a uh, side note, because I know some of you will need to hear this, Uh, look at the gospel story. The gospel story shows us that sometimes God's promises come true through the strangest of circumstances. So before Jesus showed up, there's a stretch of 400 years of silence. God was not speaking at all. And then he breaks into human history. He's born a baby to a teenage girl who's unmarried from a small town in poverty. Uh, Jesus grows up. He's a homeless rabbi, has almost nothing to his name. Uh, never travels far from home, collects a small kind of ragtag group of followers, and then by 33 years old, he's dead. He's put on a cross by evil religious leaders and agents of the state of Rome. And and, and as Jesus' friends looked at him on the cross, beaten and bloodied and bruised and dying, it it was like, this was a far-fetched plan to begin with, and now it looks like evil and chaos have won the day. But look how Peter frames this event. He says Jesus was handed over to you, he's talking to the Jewish leaders, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So, what do we make of the most vile and atrocious act ever committed by humans? Where was God in the midst of the death of his only son? He was intimately present, he was unwaveringly sovereign. He was compassionately generous. So, was the cross a wicked act committed by evil men, or was it God's means of salvation to the world? The answer is yes, it's both. And then, what was God's next move in the midst of darkness and death? It was resurrection. Peter says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Friends, some of you need to hear this right now. As you look around you, it feels like the world is spinning out of control, like things are upside down. Things appear to be in chaos. Fear and death are reigning. And it's okay to ask, where is God in the midst of everything wrong happening in 2020? And to that, I would say this. Remember Acts 223. If God can hold up the greatest act of wickedness and tragedy that the world has ever seen, and he can uphold the, the, the greatest act of mercy and grace and redemption the world has ever seen, and he can say, These are one and the same, then surely we can look out at a year that has been hard and say, God, where hopes have died, surely you can bring about resurrection. God, God where my, my dreams have died, surely you can bring about resurrection. And even God, where my loved ones have died, surely you can bring about resurrection. Our God is a God who brings life where there's death, light where there's darkness, and beauty where there is ashes. So friends, may our prayer be, Lord, would you take the heartache and disappointment and hopelessness that I'm feeling and would you bring about redemption and mercy and resurrection? This early group of followers of Jesus are gathered. There's this explosive event. Peter stands up to give an explanation and then what follows is an expansion. It's an expansion of shalom. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common Friends, as you look at this description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, you can see why at Christ Community Church we have a mission statement that is, we aim to make passionate disciples of Jesus Christ who are belonging, growing, serving, and reaching. Uh, We believe that following Jesus is not a dry endeavor. It is a passionate endeavor. We believe that that life uh, following Jesus is not to be abstract. It, It is in community and it is practical. We are engaged in distinctive ways. In every aspect of our mission statement, it can be found right here in Acts chapter 2. So these people in Acts chapter 2, they're belonging, right? They're gathering regularly for friendship, for intimate community. They eat with each other. They know each other. They're the family of God. And I want to say this as a side note to those of you who are chomping at the bit to get back to in-person weekend worship services. You just can't stand the fact that we're not doing that. I want to say... I want to affirm you. Like your heartbeat matches that of Acts chapter two. It says they met daily in the temple courts. This is a corporate worship gathering. But I also want to say this. The very next sentence says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In fact, in a dozen other places in the New Testament, uh, the, the gathering place for followers of Jesus is not a religious building, but a home. What if God is using a worldwide pandemic to show us what was maybe hard for us to learn when we had the luxury of meeting together in a big building? What if God is showing us that, that it is in backyards and driveways and living rooms that the spirit of God is cultivating belonging, perhaps even more now than before? Here at Christ Community, we have hundreds of community groups. These are small gatherings of people who are belonging. They they gather to know each other and to be known. And these groups have persisted even in the midst of a pandemic. This is the strength of the church. And I want to say uh, to those of you who have made it possible, who've contributed to that, thank you. Especially you leaders who have given up so much to hold down the fort during a tough time. Thank you. These people in Acts chapter 2 are growing. They are a, devoting themselves to scripture and to prayer. And these are things that are baked into the very fabric of who we are at Christ's Community. So our senior pastor, Jim, has published two things while he's uh, led our church. The first is a series called Bible Savvy, and the second one is called Prayer Coach. All right, so suffice it to say, these are things that mean a lot to us. And we believe that a healthy, growing Christian never actually stops growing. That these are daily activities. Scripture and prayer form the backbone of our growing. These people in Acts chapter 2 are serving. They, the love they have for each other is expressed tangibly. The community of Jesus followers increased by 3,000 people in a single day. And what was the response? Was it, great, we'll take your uh, name down on a card and we'll add you to the church database. Thank you very much. <laughs> like, no, it was like, get in here, we're family now, come on. And, and, and what does a family do? It's exactly what we read. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is like a you get the shirt off of my back kind of love. And no wonder the early church was so compelling. This was a beautiful counterculture with selfless serving at the center. That Christ Community is a church that where thousands of people, of our own people, have caught this vision. People of all ages, including students, who believe that they are not too young to make a significant impact in the kingdom of God. And, and when times like this, tough times like this, hit, we as the church, we don't clench our fists and retreat. We dig in, we open up our hearts and our lives and even our wallets when COVID-19 hit our, our church leadership, they opened up a fund. They called it the Corona Care Fund. And they said, said any money that is put in here, we're just going to send right back out to people in our church family who have practical needs, who are struggling because of the pandemic. And within days, tens of thousands of dollars poured into this fund to meet the needs of those in our church family. Guys, this is amazing. This is the church at its best. We are a people who serve even when it costs us because we have a savior who served us, even though it cost him everything. And these people in Acts chapter two are reaching Uh, Luke says that these early Christians were enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was not an exclusive club. This was a community not just open to a select few. It was a family with a wide open front door, and they made that fact known. And this is why why, why people flooded in. The entrance requirements to this community were absolutely revolutionary. These people said, you don't have to earn a thing. You don't have to clean yourself up. It doesn't matter that the events of your past or the family that you come from or the color of your skin. It doesn't matter if you are beat up or bruised or guilty or ashamed. The gospel is the message that God is rescuing desperate sinners by the blood of Jesus and his blood can cover absolutely anyone. They said the work is done and all that you have to do is trust and receive that gift. That is why the early church exploded with growth. It was a community centered on preaching, not good advice, but good news, news that the whole world needed to hear. This is why at Christ Community, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We are excited to share it. This is why we have evangelism training classes. This is why we have programs like Alpha. This is why we partner with uh, six different countries around the world to see churches planted and people saved. This is why we send dozens of people on go teams every year to serve and love and preach in the name of Jesus. And friends, the spirit has moved powerfully. In 2019 through our local ministries alone 1078 people picked up next step packets in, including, indicating that they were trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and saying I want to be a part of the family of God. The spirit is moving. We are a community that is all about reaching and the Lord has indeed added daily to those who are being saved passionate followers of Jesus who are belonging, growing, serving, and reaching. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember back to uh, the beginning, the question I put before you, how do you relate to God? When you look at this community created by the Holy Spirit, are you experiencing that? If you've trusted in Jesus, but you're feeling stagnant, like there is no passion, like th- there's not a spark in your faith. Maybe you're thinking, I, as I read Acts chapter two, I see the vibrancy created by the Holy Spirit. And I, that sounds great. That expanding shalom, that sounds wonderful. I just don't experience it. If that's you, uh, let me challenge you with this. The Spirit, when he comes, he is uh, committed to and eager to create a community and be actively engaged in a community that is belonging, growing, serving, and reaching. And so if you are not experiencing the vibrancy we're talking about, my question is, are you engaged in environments like that? Because if you're not, maybe that's the place to start, to simply go where the Spirit is committed to moving powerfully. If you are listening today as somebody who— as you listen to this, you're, you're like, this sounds, sounds great, but I'm not familiar with that. I've never experienced something like that. This is a foreign thing to me, but I'm compelled by this vision, by this community. Then this part is for you. When Peter is done preaching, the people ask him, what then should we do? And you'll notice Peter doesn't give them a laundry list of moral commands. He simply says, repent and be baptized. In other words, turn from whatever you're trusting and turn from your sin and trust and pledge allegiance to Jesus. See, the cry of the Christian is not that we have helped ourselves, but rather that God has rescued us. And this means that no matter your past, no matter where you are right now, that you too can have your own Acts chapter two moment where everything about how you relate to God changes in an instant. And it all starts with trusting what Jesus did for you. So trust him. I want to finish with this. Uh, this last Saturday at the Streamwood campus, we had an outreach event and it was a car wash. We figured uh, this would be a great way to, to serve our neighbors during uh, this pandemic. And so we had a car wash and a few dozen people came uh, and had us wash their cars. And we had like hot dogs and muffins and stuff is, is available to them as well. And almost all of the people who came were unchurched and they didn't know Jesus. And and the thing about a car wash is when we washed their car we had about 10 or 15 minutes to just talk and get to know them and, and to share our faith with them. And so I had to have dozen like really meaningful spiritual conversations, but one stuck out to me. And it was with this woman named Margaret. And Margaret said, I grew up in a a Polish Catholic background. and, And she goes, I've never seen a church do something like this. This is crazy. She goes, the church I grew up in, we all felt guilty all the time. And we didn't have much fun. And we didn't really do things like this. And she goes, what? So like, tell me about the history of your church. I said, well, we, we started in 1984 in St. Charles. She goes, oh, that's interesting. And, and uh, we have four campuses across the area. Oh, that's, that's interesting. And we've been here in Streamwood for a few years. This actually used to be a roller rink building. And she goes, oh, that's interesting. Then she said, tell me about like, what you guys believe and what you do. And I said, oh, okay, yeah. We are a, a community that is all about belonging. We're, we're passionate disciples of Jesus. We, we belong together. This is a family. Uh, we know each other and we, we, we love each other. We do life together. We're, we're committed to growing, to, to, to seizing onto the, the, the possibilities that God has given us in life. And so we grow through, through community and scripture and prayer. We do this on a daily basis. We love serving, which is why we're doing this today. We believe that Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. And so that's what we're doing. And, and we also believe in this thing called Reaching which is the good, the good news that Jesus has given us, that his grace is sufficient, that we don't have to earn anything to be a part of the family of God, that Jesus has done it all for us and all we have to do is trust in him, that that's good news like worth sharing, that, that anybody can experience that grace. And she paused in that moment and, and her eyes teared up. And then she said, that's Beautiful. Friends, my hope is that as people see us following Jesus in community, that they would shift from, oh, that's interesting, to seeing us have love in action and say, that is beautiful. And that then we would have the courage to say, you too are invited to partake in this grace. You too can experience that God is beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us, for sending your one and only son to rescue and redeem the world. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to lay down what was rightfully yours so that you could gift us what we could never earn ourselves. Spirit, we thank you for illuminating the words of scripture, for applying the work of Jesus to our lives, for changing even the hardest of hearts and for taking up residence inside us. You are nearer than our very breath, and so we thank you. God, for those who do not know you uh, today, may they be cut to the heart by the gospel of grace. May they repent and trust in you so that they too can experience your beauty and the family that you've created in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.